The Bible says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? Then said, they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all you shall be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. Our precious Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence once again tonight, Lord, as we come to you to the throne of grace and mercy, we come in Jesus' name. Lord, we're thankful tonight that you did give your, your life to be a ransom for many. We're thankful tonight, Lord, for our salvation, for the blood of Jesus that covers all our sins. God, I pray tonight that you would give us mercy. I pray that you would give us strength. And Lord, that you would touch our mind and our heart and help us to preach the word of God. Speak to us. And Lord, may you be glorified. We thank you for all the good singing, for the good offering that we received tonight and for our missionary brethren that are here. I pray your blessings upon each one of them and their ministries. And may the will of God be done. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach on this subject tonight for a few moments moments on the right perspective about ministry. The right perspective about ministry. And I noticed the apostles in verse number 35, the Bible says that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now, if we be honest tonight, that is the desire of every apostle is that God, or every disciple, should I say, that God would grant us our every desire. But are you not thankful that God doesn't give us everything that we want, even when it comes to serving him and in the ministry? A lot of times the things that look so grand and so glorious are oftentimes not at all what we think that they are. And so I see these apostles and their approach as they uh, come to Jesus and they ask him this question. But Jesus says to them here in verse number 36, what would ye that I should do for you? Now, you know that our Savior knows exactly what's on their heart just as he knows what's on our heart when it comes to serving him. But Jesus is leading them into this conversation that he might draw out a great principle about service and about ministry uh, in their lives. And I want to just stop and say this tonight. You may not be a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or, or anything of that nature tonight, but every one of us as Christians has a ministry. Amen? Ministry does not begin when God calls someone to preach or calls someone to be a Sunday school teacher, but ministry begins the moment that you get saved and become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remind you that none of these men were full time in the ministry. What 
I mean by that. They were serving God and Jesus was providing for their every need, but they was not receiving a full-time salary uh, from other brethren to do what they were doing. They were ministering and serving at their own cost and their own expense. And I think that is well for all of us to do is to serve God uh, when it costs us to live for him. And so I see here their approach, but notice their ambition in verse 37. Uh, Jesus says, what should, what would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on thy left. Now notice this last phrase, in thy glory. Now these disciples wanted what every other disciples want. They wanted to be in the glory, amen? And I know I'm preaching to a crowd tonight that you don't desire the glory, amen? Uh, but I'm gonna be honest with you, every one of our flesh, uh, and I'm including this preacher tonight, if we're not careful, we can be guilty of desiring vain glory, amen? Philippians chapter two and verse number three uh, tells us not to do that. As it says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, amen? And that's what ministry is about. It's about looking upon the things of others, but I see their ambition here. They want to be on the right and the left. They want to be in the glory. They want to be at the top with the Lord Jesus Christ. So look at his answer in verse 38. Jesus says, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with a baptism that I baptize with? Now, what Jesus is talking about in this verse of scripture here is that talking about the cup and the baptism, he's talking about the cup of suffering and being baptized in the suffering and the agony of the cross, amen? And the problem in this verse here is that the disciples have got one perspective of what they think ministry is, while Christ has another perspective of what he thinks ministry is. If you study the life of our Savior and you look at his life and his ministry, do you realize that only uh, less than 40 days of our Lord's ministry is recorded in the four Gospels? Now, when you think about this, uh, Jesus was born in a man he lived there in Bethlehem and he had a death warrant on him from the time that he was born till the day that he died. He was misunderstood. He was misquoted. He was persecuted. He was turned away. He was mistreated. And then he died like a criminal on a cross, uh, naked and, and my friend, and, and before all the, of the world to see uh, uh, him as he hung there on the cross. Uh, he gave his life's blood and he died amongst thieves. Now, when you think about ministry, none of us has that in mind, amen? And Jesus asked them this question, if they think that they're worthy. They've got the wrong perspective of ministry. I think a lot of times in our churches that is what happens if we're not careful. We can so easily lose focus of what serving God and what ministry is really all about. And, and that becomes a problem when we desire uh, to be great. And that's what they desired. The Bible uh, tells us that, that they wanted to be great in the eyes of the Lord and they wanted to be great in glory. Now, the problem with ministry whenever it becomes uh, about being great is that it brings certain things in the life of a disciple that ought not be there. One of the things it brings is confusion, amen? You lose your perspective. Jesus asked him this question, uh, can, you, uh, can you be baptized uh, uh, with the baptism that I'm gonna be baptized with? Can you drink the cup uh, uh, that I'm gonna be uh, drinking? So they was confused about ministry. Isn't it amazing how many people are confused about what real service is? 
It's not about having a title or getting a trophy. It's not about talent or ability or, or people seeing us or getting a pat on the back. A, a lot of people teach a Sunday school class or, or maybe they, they sing a song to minister to someone or, or maybe they sing in the choir and if they don't get the recognition or maybe they don't get the response, uh, some people just quit doing that. You know, I had a, a man tell me just a few weeks ago, he was talking about singing and he sang for years and then one day he just quit. And he was talking about how that he was disappointed in people. And I heard that man sing as we was going down the road together. Uh, he put a gospel tape in and was listening and I thought to myself how sad that is. Here's a man that hasn't sung in years that has the ability and has the talent but he quit because he allowed someone to dis discourage him. Friend, that's the wrong perspective tonight. We're not to be singing to the crowd. We're to be singing unto the Lord. Amen? Well, I am preaching to you but I am not preaching for you. Amen? Nor would I think you would want to hear a preacher that would want to preach for you. Uh, we're to preach for the honor and the glory of God. Isn't that right? You can't quit because others quit. You can't quit because you don't get the response. But many are confused about service and ministry. It's not about people seeing us. It's about people seeing the Lord. Amen. It's not even about us getting help or helping others. It's about us honoring and glorifying God in what we do and how we serve Him. You know, if you preach to help people, that's commendable. Or if you teach to help people, that's commendable. But you're still doing it for the wrong reason. Because you'll be like this. If you think they got help, then you'll feel good about that, which builds pride. If they don't get help, you'll, or you think they don't get help, then you'll be discouraged about it and you'll live in discouragement. The real truth of the matter is nobody, a preacher or a teacher that is up here doing anything really has no idea what God is doing in the hearts of people. While people may be smiling and nodding their head and even waving their hand, they may be thinking about what they're going to do when they get out of here. Amen? They may be thinking about what they're going to eat for supper because Baptists can multitask, you know. They can be saying, man, I sure would like a cheeseburger right now or I'm going down to Zaxby's when this is over with and that other person that is sitting there that looks like they've been sucking persimmons or something like that and they don't look like they're the least bit interested in what you're saying they may be in the valley of despair and what you're saying God may be using it to help them amen so it's always best to minister for one purpose that's just to please God then it doesn't matter who comes or doesn't come to the altar it doesn't matter if it's full or it's empty it doesn't matter if they slam the door in your face or if they take uh, the track as Brother Laddie was talking about. Uh, it doesn't really matter because ministry, my friends, so many times we lose perspective and it brings confusion. A lot of times, uh, uh, listen, when we get the wrong perspective, it also brings confidence. Amen. Notice what the Bible said in verse 39. When Jesus asked them this question, they said unto him, and I underline these two words, we can. Well, that's the wrong perspective tonight. I'm not picking on them because there's been times I thought I could. And the Lord showed me, you can't. You can't do this. 
You know the best time in your ministry when you're doing anything for God is whenever maybe it's the first time you're knocking on that door or maybe it's the first time you're teaching that Sunday school class or whatever it is. Uh, uh, listen, the best time in your ministry is when you're scared absolutely out of your mind and you're shaking like a leaf and you say, now Lord, I gotta go knock on that door and I don't know what's behind it and Father, would you help me to say the right things? Uh, uh, Lord, help me just to be spirit-led and spirit-controlled uh, in what I'm gonna say, hey, that's good because you're not leaning on self. You're not confident in what you can do. You're leaning upon him. But if you're not very careful, after you've done something for a while, we can become casual. We can come very comfortable in what we're doing and we'll trust the arm of the flesh rather than we'll trust the Lord. Amen. I read a book this week, I'm telling you, changed my life. It's on the life of Samuel Chadwick. And Samuel Chadwick wrote this book on, Pente uh, on the way to Pentecost. And Samuel Chadwick, as a, uh, he was born in the 1600s, and, as a, and I won't go into all of his life, but uh, I want to tell you something, an amazing life. At the age of eight, their family was so poor that Samuel Chadwick had to go to work, and for 12 hours a day, he worked a job at the, at the age of eight years old. Boy, the average eight-year-old eight now, the only thing he's got on his mind is Doritos and video games and... You know, he's so lazy, he won't even put deodorant on. You know that? That's right. You think about the responsibility of an eight-year-old working 12 hours a day. And Samuel Chadwick said that he so fell in love with God and the ministry and serving God that at, he would get off from work and, and he began to read. And as his reading began to improve, his mother taught him to read the Bible. And so as he was reading and, and his mother, or as his reading improved, he loved the Word of God so much that whenever he would get off from work, he would go home and for five hours he would read the Bible and would spend time in prayer with God. And he would begin to study other books and prepare a sermons and God had called him to preach and at the age of 21 Samuel Chadwick had it in his idea or in his mind that if he could put together a sermon that was full of, that, that had lots of good information and that was informative and interesting that he could build a church for the glory of God with great intentions so he took a little church and he started preaching and he found out that the sermons weren't working well, I wish some preachers would understand that today. Get off the internet and get on their knees and get a message rather than a sermon. Isn't that right? Samuel Chadwick said he was so discouraged that the sermons was not working, the crowd was not growing, the people was not coming, that one day in his discouragement and his despair, he took every sermon that he had and everything that he had written and said he went out behind the house and he just piled them up and said he set them on fire. And he said when he set those sermons, those sermons on fire, he said the fire of God fell in his soul and said the Holy Ghost overshadowed him and blessed him and he began to preach and the power of God came in his life. Why is that? Because he found out what real ministry was all about, friend. That real ministry is not about being confident in the flesh because the arm of flesh will fail you every single time. Amen. I look at what God has done in the short span of my life, which is nothing to boast or brag about. But I look at it and I have to raise my hand and say, God, you've been good to me. You've done more than I ever expected. You've certainly done more than I ever deserved. 
I realized the day that God called me to preach, I didn't even have a suit. I didn't have a shirt and a tie. I didn't have a, I mean, I didn't have nothing today. God called me to preach. I remember on that hot summer uh, uh, afternoon in that uh, little storefront building, I was sitting there on the second row, minding my own business, and my pastor was preaching, and I just knew there was such a hunger and an appetite for God and for his word. And I'm telling you, just like somebody called my name, I never even thought about preaching, Brother Laddie, a, a day in my life. But on that Sunday afternoon, when the preacher began to uh, give the invitation, the Holy Spirit, Spirit came to where I was and said, I want you to preach my word. And it scared me to death. And I remember the first sermon I preached. Well, I remember preaching it. I don't remember what I preached. I'm sure it was a disaster. I think it took six minutes to preach it. And I was as glad as I'd ever been to quit as I was to start. (laughs) I don't know if what I said was true or right, but isn't that the way God is? He has a way of putting you into something that you have no capability of doing. You know you can't do it. Everybody else knows you can't do it. And when you start out, everybody pretty much walks out and says, he'll never be able to do that. I mean, I watch preachers preach when they start preaching, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm nervous for them. Are you all that way? And you start preaching, and I mean, you're scared to death, and whether it's teach a class or whatever it is, uh, I'm telling you, listen, uh, you, you, but whoa, listen, woe to the day that you think you can. Woe to the day that you think you did a good job. Woe to the day that you think that you have accomplished anything, that we have accomplished anything. I'm telling you tonight, uh, if God doesn't help me in this message, uh, I'll fall as flat on my face tonight as I would have the first day that I started. Uh, I'm telling you, friend, we need God, uh, and I'm afraid too many people have learned how to do this without him and there's a lot of intellect and there's a lot of ability but there's just no power in it amen brother I'm telling you listen we don't need a smooth talker and we don't need just some fancy little sermon but we need the touch of God we need the power of God woe for the day we need a God that'll stand up and preach with the anointing of God upon their life once again God can say more in five minutes than we can in an hour He can take one statement, anoint it, touch it, and put it in somebody's heart and change their life. That's what we need, isn't it? We need, I think about the old time preachers that had power. Well, they preached and they had the touch of God. Ministry service, Jesus said that whenever we have the wrong perspective, that it brings confusion, it brings confidence, and then it brings competition into the service of God. The Bible says in verse 41 that when the 10 heard it, notice this, they began to be much displeased. It brought uh, competition into the, how, into the ministry. Jesus never taught these men that anybody was to be first. In fact, he took the worst Christian in the bunch and made him first. Uh, but I think he did that for the sole purpose of letting everybody else see that it's not about the status. It's not about competition. Hey, when it comes to serving God, just find the will of God for your life and do the will of God for your life. I'm to do the will of God for my life and, and we're to be obedient to God. You can't do what I'm doing and I can't do what you're doing, but if we'll just work together, if we'll just serve together, God will bless us, but we don't need competition in the house of God. I don't think we see that here in this church, but there's always the potential of it, you know? Always. Somebody sings a song, and maybe they do a better job than you do. Somebody preaches a message, and maybe they get more recognition. 
Maybe there's somebody's Sunday school class is growing and doing better than somebody else's class, but, but we're all pulling in the same direction. It doesn't matter tonight if, if there are men that, that, that can preach better or people that can sing better or other people that have the ability to win souls. Uh, I mean, they, they, they witness more and they, they're able to articulate words better than what you can. Just do what you can and just serve God and be faithful to the, what God has called you to do because on judgment day, there's no trophy uh, to who did the most uh, or to who served the most. Uh, it's all measured on faithfulness, amen? It will not matter if you pass or 50 or 500 or 5,000. It won't matter. Listen, uh, listen, if you was a, a blue collar person or if you was a white collar person, what's gonna matter is whether or not you was faithful to what God has called you to do. Amen. That's what counts. And when we look at a man that, or a woman that has served God, that, that really has influence and impact, we don't look at all the accomplishments of their life. You know what we always think about? Always think about how faithful they've been. I don't mean, I'm not saying this in a derogatory, but when I think about Jack Pendergrass, my mind doesn't go to all the things. I couldn't even think of all the things, but my mind doesn't go to all the things that Brother Jack has done in his ministry. My mind goes to there's a faithful servant of God. When I think of Brother Charles Roach, I think of a faithful servant of God. When I think of Miss Cape, I think of a faithful servant of God. Isn't that what it's about? It's about being faithful. And listen, my friend, the wrong perspective will bring competition. The wrong perspective, listen, will bring contention. The Bible says in verse 41 that they was much displeased with James and John. Well, I mean, when these other 10 are sitting around, they hear this conversation, and after Jesus gets through, I mean, here's, here's, here's these disciples that have got along and everything's been good until these two boys start wanting to be top dog. And then now the other 10 are standing over here like somebody ought to wring their neck, amen. You ever thought that? You see, serving God is, is not about elevating one personality over another. It's not about lifting others up. And my friend, it brings contention. Jesus said in verse number 42 that when we have the wrong perspective of ministry, it brings carnality and condemnation. Look what he said in verse 42. He said, you know that they which were accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercised lordship over them and their great ones exercised authority upon them. But watch this. But so shall it not be among you. What's Jesus saying there? He says to them, now you know how the Gentiles do it. They magnify one above the other and they exercise that authority. They exercise that lordship. And so, they, listen, he's telling them basically, don't you act like the Gentiles, amen? Don't act like a bunch of carnal Gentiles. He said he condemns that. Jesus said that doesn't need to be among you. The ground needs to be level. I think a pastor I know that he's to be respected and he ought to be. But the pastor should always be on ground level with the saints. Amen. What I mean is the pastor don't need to be sitting at the house drinking lemonade while everybody else is out knocking on doors. Somebody say amen. Isn't that right? I understand there's times that a preacher cannot do certain things and he's not to be a jack of all trades. He's to give himself to the word of God in prayer and to the souls of men. But I don't think it hurts for a preacher to, to get dirty, amen? And if there's a work day, it doesn't hurt for him to show up if he can, amen? Uh, that, listen, I think he ought to if he's able to. And sometimes other things demand that. But I tell you, he ought to get in there and work with the saints and, and be respected in that manner as much as anything else. And, and 
Jesus is teaching us here that, uh, that there's some lessons about having the right perspective about ministry. You say, what are they, preacher? Well, he tells us in verse number 43, he said, first of all, when it comes to having the right perspective in ministry, he said the first thing you need to do is you need to lower your expectations of what ministry is. He said, whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. You know what the word minister means? It means to attend to or to wait upon. To be a minister, to be a servant means to wait upon others. You've heard it said many times, it's not about how many people serve you but it's about or serve us, but it's about how many people we serve. Isn't that right? And listen, the right perspective of ministry is that I'm to be a servant. I am to wait upon others. I am to serve others. That, that knocks the pride out of our life and it keeps the pride out of the church and it builds unity in the house of God when we see ourselves as a servant. Amen. Many people have high expectations of service when they think about serving God and they think about ministry. They think about great ministries rather than being a great minister. Amen. And Jesus says that he that is great among you shall be your minister. Do you know why that the Lord anointed David as king was because he chose the lowly. Amen. Listen, uh, he sent Samuel down there and Samuel didn't get the toughest and the tallest of those boys. Uh, he went all the way down to the line. The line and he got the runt of the, the, the crowd, amen. He got the one man that everybody looked and said, there's no way he's fit for the job. But when God got through with him, he's the one that got the glory. He's the one that got the honor. You may be here tonight and say, God, I could never use somebody like me. That, with that attitude, you are a prime candidate for God to do something great in you and through you for his glory. It's when we think we can that God can't use us. It's when we feel like that we're needed. I realize tonight as much as ever, God don't need me. He don't need me tonight. I need him. He chooses to use me, but he don't have to use me. It's as simple as having a tool that you have used for years that's been scarred and has been valuable, has been greatly used. But you know that at any day you can lay that tool down and you can go right down to the store and buy you a nice new shiny one that's a whole lot better than the one you've been using. The tool never thinks, well, the master builder needs me. I'm telling you, he's been, he's been holding on to me a long time. He really got something when he got me. No, the tool never thinks that. You see, tonight God chooses. It's a privilege to serve God. I think too many times in ministry, people lose sight of that, that it's a, it's a privilege to serve God. Amen. But you have to lower your expectations. Don't think highly of yourself. Realize that the smallest task is still a great task when it comes to serving God. Secondly, Jesus tells us here, not only lower your expectations, but he tells us here in this text that, that you and I, when it comes to serving God, we need to learn about uh, exaltation in ministry. Look what he said in verse 44. And whosoever of you shall be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. You know, Sometimes I, I remember sitting on a pew thinking, man, I wished I, or I'm not, really I didn't probably think wished I could be the pastor, but I thought this, I thought if I was the pastor. Man, if I was the pastor, if you don't have to raise your hand, but I, has anybody ever thought that? If I was the pastor, this is what I would do. Man, if I was the pastor, I'm telling you, I wouldn't put up with that. I know y'all never thought none of that stuff. 
I don't know why Brother Grafley don't do this. I mean, I just can't understand him. Why don't he do You say, Preacher, how do you know I've thought that? Because I've thought that before. Man, I've been with pastors preaching. I thought, why, why is that guy doing this? Why don't he do this right here? Isn't that the way we think? Now, God at least could get two amens out of that. Y'all ain't that lily-wide, amen? But you get aggravated about something in the church and you're like, man, why, why don't Brother Gravely just do this? I'll tell you something. It's a whole lot different when you're in the driver's seat because you really never are in the driver's seat. You're just always co-piloting. And it's a whole different world on this side. Well, when I tell you, I think about it, and when I go to another church, I, I don't always understand what's going on there and what that, why that preacher's not doing this, but I relate it back to the church that I pastor. I say, well, there's things he knows and there's things he's dealing with that I have no idea of what he's facing. And then above all that, the Lord is guiding him and telling him that these are the repercussions, here's the consequences, or this is my will, or this is not my will. And as a pastor, basically, you're sometimes just going through life of following God, waiting one day, to the next to get your orders to do whatever needs to be done next. That, that's much of pastoring, but you have to lower and you have to learn that exaltation that when it comes to being chief, you're really just head servants, all you are. That's all you are, you're head servant. It means that you're just to be out serving. And I think sometimes in ministry, if we're not careful, we forget that. That's what we are, we're servants. We're to serve God. We're to serve our fellow man. We're to serve our brethren. Jesus, I think about when he, wiped the, when he washed the disciples' feet, how that must have shocked them. The God of glory. The God that has stood in the presence of angels and been worshipped by them. The one that was there on the morning of creation and the one that spoke everything into existence, picked up a towel got down in the floor and washed the dirty feet of men that was lower than he was. Well, that's chief service right there. I'm telling you, listen, whenever we put others above us and before us and we recognize them, I, I think about how when Jesus went from disciple to disciple and washed their feet, and I mean, you, here's uh, he that knew no sin and here are men that are sinful, but yet Jesus realized that being exalted, the Bible said, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Why is that name given to him? Because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You say, preacher, what are you saying? The right perspective of ministry is when we learn what exaltation really is. It's still just all about service. It's always about service. It always has been about service and it always will be about service. And when we lose perspective of that, then we are in trouble. And I close with this. Jesus taught them to learn about exaltation, but then he taught, taught them in verse 45 to look to their example. He said, and even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know what I, I thought about here? Jesus had the right perspective when it came to ministry. He had the right prospects. It was others. See, when ministry comes about anything else, it's the wrong, it's the wrong prospect. When it becomes about recognition, that's the wrong prospect in ministry. When it becomes about reward or riches, it's the wrong prospect. I remember whenever I, uh, the first sermon I preached in the jail, I went up there and uh, the, the, uh, the 
the sheriff told me, he said, he said, well, you can come preach every Monday night. He said, uh, you can go upstairs. He said, we'll, we'll lock you up. And said, then you can, when you're done, just beat on the door and we'll let you out. It's pretty simple, wasn't it? A little two-story jail with uh, probably would house about 75 people, uh, no air conditioning. Man, I'll tell you what, I was thinking about that the other day. I, I, went, I went up there that Monday night. I'd never been inside jail my whole life. I was at 15. And uh, I thought somebody was going to go with me, but they didn't show up that night, so then I wound up being there by myself. Yeah. I remember sitting there thinking, man, I hope somebody don't kill me. And I could hear them standing on the porch of that old jail next to the courthouse there. You know where that old jail was right there in Chatsworth. And I mean, listen, the, the, the box fans was going, the TVs was blaring, they were cussing. And I'm sitting on the front porch trying to get up enough nerve just to go inside. <laughs> so I go inside and, 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 and uh, Mr. Ainsley takes me back there. He said, you ever seen this, the inside of this jail? And I said, no. He takes me back there to his office, and I don't know why he did this. He shouldn't have done it at the time. But he said, you see that big old square hole right up there? It's a hole that had been cemented over. I said, yeah. He said, that used to be where they hung people years ago. He said, they had a drunk tank right up above that. And he said, sure enough, it's true. They, they hung people, and they'd fall through right there where his office was at. Man, I'm really scared now. I'm, so I go, I go, and he shuts that door, man. It just clangs, you know. And he's about twenty iron steps going up in there. And so I start walking up him steps, and I hear some old feller. He's singing at the top of his lungs. And the first, when you got to the top of that step, right here to the left was a drunk tank, tank, and that's where he was at. He was singing, and I could hear everything on. I got to the top of that step, and man, I'm telling you, when I rounded that corner, and they looked at me. Everybody just looked at me like, who is that kid? And I don't remember what I preached that night. I only had three sermons, death, hell, and judgment. That's what I had. I did. For two years, I preached death, hell, and judgment. When I got done, I turned it around, death, hell, and judgment. That's right. I just kept preaching. And so I preached that night. I mean, listen, they turned the TVs up. They turned, they turned, they screamed, yelled. I mean, I, I don't know what I said. I went back the second week, got to preaching, and there's a fire alarm right there on the wall standing in a little hallway. There's a bullpit on this side, a three-man, four-man, and run-around cell right there. And I was standing there in that hallway preaching. I was so nervous, I had my hand on the fire alarm right there. So they calmed down real quick when I put my hand on that alarm. But I was standing there, and I'm going to tell you something. God did something in my life. I looked so forward to that Monday night and preaching in the jail. And I'll tell you, to, to serve, to preach is the greatest honor, to serve God. It don't matter if it's a nursing home, if it's a jail, there's souls there. You go to the nursing home and they, they're sitting there and I know they're medicated and I know sometimes they don't hear and some don't even understand. They don't have the, the consciousness to, to, to comprehend, but they're, they're there and they still need to be preached to. And they don't just need to, it's not just past the time. They need somebody that cares. Amen. You think about it. If you were up in your years and everybody had forgotten you and you've been pushed in a dining room somewhere and, and your mind and comprehension was limited to even what you could take in, wouldn't it be a blessing? 
asking for somebody to come by and open the word of God. Don't think that goes unrecognized. Don't think that will go unrewarded for every time that you opened your Bible and you preached to a soul, whether they heard it, whether they could understand it or not, God chalked it up in heaven. That's being faithful, friend, and that's what ministry is all about, amen. It's about helping people tonight as we stand to our feet. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. But God's got a ministry. He's got a, ser- He's got a place for you to serve in your local church. He's got a job for you to do. It don't have to be titled. It don't have to be, it don't have to be anything great to, in the eyes of men. But the Bible says whatsoever you do, do it heartily to the Lord. That just simply means give your best. Whatever your job is, do your best. Don't be half-hearted. Don't be, don't be half in, half out. Give your best. And you may be surprised what God will do if you'll give God your best. You don't have to be the best. Just give your best. How much stronger our churches could be if we could get the right perspective of ministry while we sing tonight. You obey God if He speaks to you.